Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 274 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by... You already know who it is. It is the former heavyweight world title challenger himself. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, my man? I'm good, my man. I'm good. I'm just uh, relaxing right now. (laughs) Okay, my friend. Good stuff. Good to have you back once again. Um, This show is going to be slightly different because there's nothing to review or preview. There will be a guest. Um, There's maybe one piece of news to mention at the minute. Um, And that is that on February 27th, um, here in the UK, in London, it's been announced. It was one of the fights I mentioned last week. I wasn't sure it was going to be able to, you know, to go ahead because of the the ban on on boxing in the UK and whatever. But, um, yeah, it's going ahead. February 27th in London, uh, Jamel Herring defends his WBO Super Featherweight World title against Carl Frampton. So no real surprises there. A lot of people knew that one was going down. But February 27th is the date. Um, no venue just yet announced. It's going to be in London. I'm guessing it's going to probably be the BT Sports Studio, but not quite sure. Um, but yeah, that's the one piece of news. Like I say, nothing to review, nothing to preview. That means we're going to come to Eddie for the lockdown knockdown. Um, and then after that, that will be when, when when we bring in our sole guest on this week's podcast, um, which at this stage, it could be Jamel Herring. Um, if it's not him, it could be someone else. Um this this is being recorded on Wednesday evening, so things could change. But um, for now, it, it hopefully will be Jamel Herring. But anyway, that will happen after the lockdown knockdown. Um, Eddie, last week we we discussed the comeback fight after the loss to Klitschko when you 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 came yep. back against Derek Rossi. You beat him on points, um, and yeah, yep. that that brings us into the uh, the Thomas Adamek fight, which, like I said on last week's show, if anyone. Uh, wanted to go and watch that fight. It's a brilliant fight to watch. Um, probably, you know, not not so happy to look back on for you, Eddie. Um, obviously, yeah. you know, with with what happened well, early uh, on, and then the the decision, yeah. which no one um, seems to agree with. But anyway, where are we starting today, man? Well, we're going to start right after the fight I had with our Rossi, and um, talk a little bit about. You know, uh, uh, not financial, but but um, managerial adjustments that happened, which was what happened after that fight. And that particular fight, that was one that was going to set me up for uh, a, a rematch, which would have been great with Vladimir Klitschko and would have put me in position to, well, actually, the, that was supposed to be one of the preliminary bouts. And then the, which was like, let's call it a, a, a semifinal. And then I was supposed to have another fight with uh, two other guys. It was uh, Mo Harrison, uh, a good friend of mine, Tony Thompson. 
who were also fighting and looking for that opportunity to get a sh- another shot. Well, for Tony, it would have been another shot at Vladimir. For Bo Harris, it would have been his first uh, first opportunity. But um, it, it turned out that I think I didn't initially. I thought the fight wasn't going to happen with those two guys. And it was supposed to be that I was going to fight Frosty and then whoever won that would just go on ahead and be, you know, it'll be the next number one contender, which is what I thought. But then they, of course, flipped it around and changed it. And, and it was a lot of craziness going on with uh, managerial issues. You know, I got to told you, I don't like to go too much into the business too much in these talks, but it was, uh, it was a little rough because I'm thinking like I'm going to, I'm about to fight Vladimir again, get another great payday, get an opportunity to be world champion. And then all of a sudden, Oh no, you got to fight this other guy. first. And it just kind of the same thing all over. All of the fights I've had, not all of the fights, any of the fights I've had previously before um, the uh, Vladimir fight were all like, how do I say it? I'm Ariola, me and Ariola were in under the same, the same, uh, promotional team right and uh chris Ariola seemed to always and i don't i don't like saying it like this but i have to be honest seemed like he always had the softer fights you know like the fights that were i don't know better suited for uh uh for any fighter to you know kind of get his way you know making his way toward uh an opportunity for a title but they weren't really like big fights like i remember he fought jamil mccline and jamil mccline was literally what, four years retired, and he fought Jamil McClellan. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure, but that was his the, the fight before he fought uh, Vitaly Klitschko. So I'm like, how do you fight a guy that was t- retired for years that I'm not sure was it even in the even in the rankings? And I guess, you know, there's all kind of little things you can do to get them, you know, in that position. But um, And then I'm sitting here fighting guys like I had to fight Samuel, Samuel Peter, one fight removed from heavyweight champion. And and then I had to fight Alexander Dimitrenko, who was slated to be the next Vladimir. And it's like, why do I have to fight those kind of guys? But this other kid doesn't have to fight either of them, and he's going to get a shot too. And it's like, it just doesn't make sense. But it had a lot to do with, obviously, I'm not as popular as, you know, I wasn't as popular as Areola. Uh, I didn't have the fan-friendly style, those types of things. So it just didn't work out that way. So I had to do it a little harder. But then, you know, it always seemed to be like that. Even after when I fought Derek Rossi, now I'm in a situation where I'm feeling like I'm going to be fighting for a title. Oh no, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta fight again. And not only do I have to fight again, I have to fight another top level contender, one of the better guys of this of this time. And I'm like, why do I gotta fight him, Southpaw? You know what I mean? A big, tall Southpaw. When I was already told that I was going to get the title shot again. And then I'm like, you know what? I got, I got to the, up to that point. I'm looking at, you know, what the, what my money was like from the Vladimir fight. And I'm looking at all the other little things that, that was going on. And I'm just sitting there like, you know what? It's, I'm guess I think it's time to start think about moving on. So I start talking to people and, you know, some of my people that, um, you know, let me gave, gave me some information about what was happening in my career at the time financially and and. and and just in general, and things that were happening. So we having a, we were having a discussion, and they also showed me some things that went on early in my career, money wise, and that just solidified it. And I said, you know what, it's time, it's time to move on. 
So, you know, we have, you know, we went, we worked our way into a situation. I mean, obviously, you know, it was some, some real, uh, crazy, crazy, it was a crazy time, weird feelings involved because these people were like my family. You know what I mean? The, the manager I had and, and my co-promoter was like, you know, uh, uh, like a father, like one of them was like a father. His, his, his father was like a father to me. He was like a brother. So it was like, there's a lot of things that were, were involved there beyond just business that I was breaking away from. You know what I'm saying? And there's some guilt that I had dealt with a little bit in between in that, in that, at that time. But at the end of the day, I felt like I had to do what I had to, do to you know, become my own man in a sense and, and take and take care of my business, do it the right way. And to make sure that I actually had money and, and had a future, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, going forward. So we had separated and I ended up getting with a different promotional company as well, because I feel like, you know, the whole ties to the whole thing was, uh, was the problem when that, that was with Goose and Tudor at the time. And, um, and then I think it was just time. So we ended up separating and I got with, um, uh, the main events, which is Kathy Duva promotional team. All right. And so I signed with them not too long after I, cause I got an injury, uh, preparing for Tony cause I was going to fight him anyway. And then after that happened, we just kind of said, you know, screw it. And then I was on the shelf for a little bit because of the injury. I had a little injury getting ready for, uh, getting ready for Tony, even though that fight, then that fight fell through, met with Kathy. They gave me, well, you know, they gave me an opportunity and he said, there's a, and I actually went to a fight that they had scheduled in, uh, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember it was a fight with, uh, I think it might've been, it was, well, it was, a, it was a, it was a, um, main events card, but one of, I think they had, because Don King was there for whatever reason. I think he had a fighter on the car. I'm trying to remember who the fighter, what the fighter's name is. I just can't remember at this moment. But I think he fought Zab Judah that night. And it was just crazy because I remember Zab kept looking out in the audience at Don because he was beating up on his fighter. And he was and he was like, I guess they had some bad blood or beef or something. But anyway, but I was there, so I was watching the fight. And actually, Tomas Adamic fought. Let's just say that. He, Tomas Adamic fought. He fought, uh, damn, um, what's the kid's name? Nagi Aguilera, who was like a perennial, like a, like a, like a, like a, I don't want to say a trial horse, but he was a, somewhat of a contender, but like on that C plus level, that wasn't quite, you know, like I said, top class, but it was tough enough that he give you a little bit of trouble and kind of show you what, you know, whether you're really that guy or not. And I think Tomas had been heavyweight for a little while. I don't think he'd been heavyweight that long up to that point. And um, he ended up, he of course beat Aguilera. And he heard him at one point and he looked, you know, kind of OK, you know, at heavyweight because you know, he wasn't really, I guess, that familiar with heavyweight. But he was kind of like people were looking at him like he was like such a great boxer. Oh, he's just so good. And he's this, he's that. And I'm like, well, listen, the reason that he looks like such a great boxer is because he's coming from a lighter division. The pace is different. The boxing skill level is different in the lighter weight classes when he moves up to heavyweight. He's going to have to become a boxer because he's not going to be the biggest guy and he's not going to be the strongest or the hardest punching guy. So as things are going to be a little different, that doesn't make him a real quality boxer. That was my first thing that I said when he moved to the division and watching the fight, I saw exactly that. And I was watching it and I was, you know, we were all talking me and I, at the time it was me, Bashir and my brother, Steve, and we were all talking like, yo, man, 
we get that fight. And I was in the thing like, man, you think that I can get it? And I was like, because, yeah, we signed up with them anyway. You know, maybe maybe just talk to Kathy and see what she says. So we were there talking, and I actually, one of the first things I said to her, you know, when we were starting to have a conversation, it was after we met at her office. I was talking to her, I said, hey, you know, Tomas looked good tonight. You know, he just for stuff, I think, I think we can have a fight together and really, really, uh, really, it'll really do well. And I think it'll be good for for everyone involved. So, oh, Tomas, you really, you really you thinking about, you want to fight Tomas? You want to fight him right away? And I was like, well, maybe, I mean, this, you know, I haven't fought probably a year up to that point. Because this was, I think my last, my last fight was obviously February 10th, if I'm not mistaken, of 2011 at that time. And they were, and I think the time I was talking to her, that fight was going to, that fight was on the, 10th, 11th, or 12th, or something like that of, of the following year. So I haven't been, I've been out of, you know, I was out of, uh, out of, not out of training, but um, out of commission for a year. I didn't train. I mean, I mean, not to say I didn't train. I was training a little bit, but I didn't fight for a while. So they were saying, okay, well, and I was like, well, so maybe well, let me get a little fight then before let me get like a, a warm up fight. And she was like, well, oh, I, I don't know. And and this is where the game comes in. You know what I mean? No matter who your promoter is. No matter what the situation is business-wise, trust me. You know what I mean? If 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 they feel like they got a, a gold a golden opportunity to get something that they want for a low price, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna put it on the table and put it to where you can almost not where you almost have to say yes and you just can't say no. So the situation was presented like, oh, uh, I said, oh well, maybe give me a, like a warm-up fight in between. Let me get some. Oh, I. I can't promise you to fight more than, you know, we got a, we got another card, I think, in June. And I would definitely love for that to be the main event on, on that card. I can't promise you any further away than that. You may be tied up and you never know. He, can, he might lose a fight and the interest can go away and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there like, I, I see what this is all about. But then I bite. So I say, OK, cool, because I knew I could beat him. I, I knew it wasn't going to be that hard of a situation for me in my opinion and in my team's opinion so i said you know what the hell with it let's let's go on with it you can you can make the fight let's let's make it for that for first for uh june and she said oh that's so great she was so happy let's just let's make this fight let's do this and i don't know if uh people know but the previous month before me discussed one i i'm a real big big time dieter <laughs> that's if that's a thing, but I'm a big, I'm really big on diet and, 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 and trying to do the best, to take care of yourself and, and make sure you're at your optimum. So one of the things I do often, well, kind of often, semi-often is I detoxify. So what I did, like I detoxify my body for, of, of all, you know, diet, you know, different, I mean, all diet issues. Like, 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 for example, like if I say, you know, for, for me, it's meat. If I'm eating a lot of meat, pause <laughs> or or uh, or you know sweets and just all those types of things i try to detox from my body and keep it out of my body for about 20 days while taking certain um uh, uh certain like meds not like med like from the you know this is over-the-counter stuff but it's uh herbal herbal things so i take it and I, I clean my body so what i did was previous to that i did that and i did that a lot because obviously i like i said i wanted to be healthier but i also wanted to give myself a start on getting back into real good shape. Cause for that, for maybe three or four months, I wasn't able to train because of an injury. So 
that kind of, you know, you get a little heavy things happen. So I detoxified my body. It was the first time I've done it. And I'm going to tell you, I felt incredible. I had lost probably, and I wasn't really overweight necessarily. I was maybe like 220 or something like that ish. And I got myself down from 220 to maybe like 195, 196. Uh, and, and that was, I, I wasn't even in camp. I, we weren't even talking about fighting at that point. I mean, we were talking about fighting, but we weren't talking about fighting Tomas or anything like that. We, we had, uh, just basically started the, the process of uh, getting with Kathy. So anyway, so I was already starting just to get myself ready to get prepared for what I was going to be doing. So I had, and I was at one point I was thinking about going to cruiser, but I, I changed my mind. I seen an opportunity with Tomas. So anyway, and what I did was, so I cleaned my body. So when I went to camp, after we, after everything was solidified, we knew the fight was going to happen. I went to camp, and I think I started camp at like two hundred, maybe two hundred five or six pounds or something like that. Now, and I'm a heavyweight. I'm fighting heavyweight, I'm, and 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 it is like most of my career, I would say two fourteen to two, about two two four two ten to two twenty is where I kind of hovered in between there and then sometimes i get a little heavy but but for the most part i was there but this time i had showed up to camp at at the, at the weight of like maybe 205 so my body weight and i had started to train some so my body weight was already under control so the whole camp was like focusing on just keeping the diet clean working on uh, uh specific things practice practicing like different things we watched a lot of tape james tony you know, got old school fighters like um, uh, Jersey Joe and, and even some Ezra Charles, different stuff like that that, uh, that you know, uh, Bashir put me on to because, you know, Bashir, he's like a he's like a real scientist when it comes to this stuff. So, you know, we're watching those videos and looking at some of the things that the guys are doing, especially James Stone. Study James a lot. And I just like and, and I really have a, had a real renewed hunger and and an intense desire to be, to be great in that sport again. You know what I mean? I like in, in, in boxing, I was just like, and it, I had so much fun in camp. I can't tell you, I, it's like, I didn't, I don't, most, you're not, I guess you're not, so I don't think you're supposed to have that much fun in camp, but, but it wasn't that we had fun and we didn't work. Like we were working hard. Like, I mean, really working hard, but at the same time, it was on things that were enjoyable you know what I mean? It was like we were it, we we had fun. We would we would uh you know talk about different stuff, make jokes and all that. The camp was so loose, but at the same same time, it was so structured. Like we were sparring. Like I was literally sparring. And one week, I'm gonna tell you, the first day of the week, which would be Monday, we would go ten rounds, right? The next day would be twelve rounds. No, no, no. Sorry, my bad. We would go ten rounds. The next day would be. 15 rounds then wednesday we would i think it was our that was our day off come back thursday 12 rounds finish off the week with 10 that was my sparring schedule and i had let me tell you i had some of the best sparring partners now granted you know there's trust me there's obviously other heavyweight sparring different sparring that i could have had but i always wanted especially for a guy who's supposed to be fast are athletic, more athletic than what the norm of, as far as heavyweights would be. I would always want to spar guys who are lighter, not necessarily shorter, but lighter. And I had 
one of my favorite spar partners of all time, which he's not my favorite because I enjoyed the sparring at first. No, he was my favorite because I knew he was getting me right for the sparring. And that was a guy by the name of Edwin Rodriguez. This dude, I, and I was watching him spar before because he was, you know, because if it wasn't, and I got to give Andy Lee a, a real shout out. If it wasn't for Andy Lee, I don't know what I would have done in that camp. And when I say give a shout out to Andy Lee, because Andy Lee did not, Say you know a lot of guys would say man I don't want my sparring partner sparring with nobody else like no because I don't want no nobody getting hurt and you know they're here on my dime and blah 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 he said oh no of course if they want to spar if they're okay with it they're absolutely I want them to help and you know and oh and by the way I was actually doing camp at Crunk which and we were doing it in the summer which if you know, if anyone knows about Crunk in the summer it's like I don't know 150 degrees you know what I mean in the shade you know what I'm saying oh in, in that gym. It's just unbelievable, unbelievably hot. But it really, it, it really, it really, it really obviously that helped. That turns you, that gym turned me into a real beast that time, I'm going to be honest. But anyway, um, so with with Edwin, it was Edwin, and I had a, I was actually working with Aaron Pryor Jr., if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was working with him. I was also working with, a, a good friend of mine's name was uh, Ricardo Wallers. He was there. He was helping me out. Um, Jonathan Banks was another guy I was working with who was actually a uh, former cruiserweight contender, a heavyweight contender. Um, a couple other lighter weight guys that were really, really, really good uh, uh, for, sp- for sparring at that point. The pace was faster, but the one that really sticks out was Edwin because he was on my case. And this dude Seemed like he did not in sparring. He did not stop throwing punches. It seemed like, and every single, and it wasn't like he was not skilled or anything like that. He was, he had plenty of skills, but it was just a volume that was like, wow. Like the first maybe three times that I sparred him, I couldn't keep pace. You know, I would, I would, you know, the first time I, I was kind of like shocked by it. Then the second time, I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna be ready now. I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna handle this work. Man, I, and I and I tried to keep pace. I did the first round, round and a half, two rounds. I was like, "Yeah, I got this." Once I got to that third round, I was like, "No, nah, I don't got it. Not yet." It took me. It's like I was going to take me another couple days to get this. Especially sparring those kind of guys and knowing I'm gonna have to do 10, 12, 15 rounds of sparring. You know what I'm saying? It was like, what the hell am I gonna do? How am I gonna deal with this? So, and like I said, I started camp not necessarily too out of shape. I was actually, I, I felt great from my diet. I felt great from, you know, some, some of the work that I've been doing. So everything was good. It had nothing to do with my condition. It just, it was the work. These guys were on my case and I loved it. I hated it, but I loved it at the same time. It was a love-hate thing at the time. But Edwin was all over me. Then eventually, which maybe over the next maybe two days or so of sparring that we had, I started to get my get myself together. I started to catch my groove. You know what I mean? And I started to, you know, do little things and land certain shots. My punch count was as high as it's, as it's ever been. And that was one of the things that we really made a focal point, a focal point for our for the camp was that on the bag, on the pads, everything. I'm throwing punches, a lot of punches. And because of my style, you know, like that's not one of the, one of my, my four times. I don't, I don't, I don't throw a volume of, I don't waste punches. 
That's just not what I do. So I had trained. I mean, we had trained. That is that was such a hard, but yet fun camp. I wish I I wish every camp I had would have been that way. But at the same time, it just doesn't work out. But that camp, just trying to get me out of my comfort zone, throwing a lot of punches and 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 all of the hard sparring round after round after round of difficult sparring. But when by the time the end of by the, by the end of camp, and this is the thing, another thing about Kronk, too, I'm gonna say this before I get to the end. Kronk has guys who comes to the gym at the time, and they weren't even like guys who fought often, but they just in the gym sparring, gym rats. You know what I mean? We always saw um uh K9, K9 be in the gym all the time, running his mouth, but but training every day. And it was just, but they had guys who were just gym rats, right? So there might be a guy that will jump in, but I'll jump in spar. And we talk about, I'm a high level professional. This dude, some of these dudes don't even have any fights. And they'll get in there and give you some work. And I was like, whoa. Like, really? Like, there was a, there was a heavyweight kid that came in there that was, he was fast and everything. And I was like, damn. Like, I'd never even heard of this guy before. You know what I mean? But he got in there and I don't even think he, I don't think he had much more than a few amateur fights, and he was actually doing work. I don't even know if he had any amateur fights or how many amateur fights he had, if he had any. But he was actually good. He had speed. He had decent skills. And it was just like, you know, you get guys off the street and you just wonder, man. Think about, you know, in different places, you know, different sports. Like, there's actually people that just walk in the streets that have the talent to be, you know, maybe next-level professionals. And because of, you know... I don't know, our relationships or, or, or drugs or, or just the streets in general, they're just not able to do it. But it was like, wow, it was a shock. And then you just, you know, you go outside, you look at, at Detroit in the area, and it was just like, man, there's a rundown place in certain spots. And it's just, and it just looks like it has, it's a, it's a, it has a rough life kind of <laughs> staple that's just there. And it just looks like whoever lives here is, is going to struggle a little bit. But anyway, but uh, so I had periodically I would have a, a guy jump in the ring. And like I said, it would be somebody that was not even a part of the whole thing. And they would just be like, damn, he would get in there and actually be good. And uh, it, it was just a, it was just a shock. But anyway, the sparring was great. And like I said, eventually I really hit a groove and I got to the point where I, I just didn't get tired. I mean, it was hot as a mug in the gym and I just couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't uh, uh, breathe half the time, but it just—I got to a point where it's just like I was just on auto, like on cruise. I was like cruise control, you know what I mean? I would and and cruise control, but with active an active left hand. I like my jab was was just firing off, and just shots in general. My punch count was man. I was throwing. They were doing. I think we were doing punch counters, you know, just to kind of see where I was at. And I think I was even. And at one point, up to 70 punches or something, maybe per round, depending on who I was in there. You know, so I was like, man, and for me, that's like a hundred percent. Then I was a hundred percent increase. But you know what I mean? It was a lot of punches. So, you know, for me, 70 something punches per round. So the work, basically what I'm saying, what I was, you know, I'm telling you, I have to tell you that the work was in. We did everything that was necessary to be in the proper shape about eight weeks in. You know what I mean? A good seven to eight weeks. And it was just, it was a, it was a great, great, great camp and one of the best I've ever had. And, um, so now obviously the work is in, we're, 
now making our way to, and we are going from Detroit back to uh, Newark, New Jersey, because the fight was at um, the Prudential Center, which at that point, at that at that time, was basically Little Poland for, for Tomas. Because believe me, there was maybe three or four people that were there to see me win. And the whole rest of that 15,000 people was for him. So it was uh, a different, a different, uh, it wasn't necessarily a different experience for me because I'm used to, you know, being over in Germany and being, you know, the visitor. And even when I fought Derek Rossi in uh, Suffolk County up there in New York, I was also the visitor there. So I wasn't really not from, I wasn't, it wasn't an unfamiliar thing, but uh, I was uh, definitely comfortable with the idea of being you know the visitor and trying to come there and take take what was uh what was mine taking on back to where i'm from even though i'm actually from this country it still felt like a, an away fight you know uh but uh i remember getting and at different times in camp i think my weight had went all the way down to like 190 the 192 i know that sounds crazy for me getting ready for a heavyweight fight but i was just training it was just training was on a different level and uh, but anyway, so I was saying that because we go to the weigh in and I didn't know what my weight was because we had at that point, it was like, yo, stop getting on the scale because we don't want to we don't want to see it. You don't want to be discouraged or even overly happy just from what the scale is showing, just being we're going to be in shape and ready to fight. So Bash, you should stop getting on the scale. Stop looking. At it. So I did that, but I just can't, I couldn't help but notice like my body and the way my body looked. And I was like, man, I don't think I don't think I'm that heavy, man. I don't know what you know what what you know. I'm not. I don't know if it's going to be like a penalty or or something with me being heavyweight and not being able to literally make heavyweight, meaning not being a being heavy enough to be heavyweight. I think at the time it was at 200 pounds. So get we get to that weigh-in, and because we were kind of nervous about the whole thing about me weighing in, I weighed in with, of course, my sweatpants on. And I definitely made sure I put a couple of different phones in my pocket and my wallet, which was like George Costanza. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Seinfeld, but it was like his wallet. And, and, and then I had other things in my other pocket, which almost not weights, but it was a lot of stuff in my pockets, right? To kind of make sure that I was a little heavy. I think I weighed the shoes on too. So I got on the scale and even with all that stuff on, my body weight was 202 pounds. And I was like, damn, I'm 202. Reality, I'm probably like 195. And it was like, so 195, and to, and Tomas gets on the scale, he's 225. And it's like, damn, who was the heavyweight model, their whole career? Me or him? And he goes, he's 225 pounds. And then different things come out of camp when people are talking. And they were saying that, well, that they didn't really need to get anyone that was like, you know, fast or or sharp or any lighter weight guys that he you know for, for Tomas to fight because they figured oh well Tomas is fast enough and he's this and that enough to be able to deal with whatever Eddie Chambers brings he's not really gonna be all like that come fight night or whatever and we'll be able to deal with him. and I think Povetkin has said something similar to that when we fought the, the first time right I, well not in fight Povetkin twice but I mean when I fought Povetkin and both times, obviously with the Pavekin fight, he could not really deal with the speed. The only thing about him was he just picked up the pace, and, and I was out of shape. I wasn't able to deal with it. But anyway, in this particular fight, though, there was not going to be a chance of me being out of shape. 
I was 100% ready and, 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 and ready to go. So I, rem- I remember, this is, it, it, this is fight night now, so I remember being in the dressing room. And I felt like a little weird, but kind of kind of good, like a little like strange, like a little bit too good. You know what I mean? And I was thinking, oh, here we go. Something something's going to happen or something bad is happening. And then, then the nerves start really rising up. Like I, I, I used to get nervous the whole week of the book, but then it just became fight night. I would start to get, you know, get nervous and get the jitters or whatever. And I'm in the dressing room. And, and, and if anyone who's fought or anybody who's listening to this actually fight, you know what it's like if you get nervous anyway before fights. Um, what it's like to be in the dressing room waiting, especially when you're the main event, which is generally the last bout or, you know, one of the last bouts. And you're just like waiting and waiting and waiting. It's like you just, I always liked just being first. You know what I mean? Put me on the first fight, get, the, get me in there, get it out the way. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't want to sit and just, you know, wait and wait and stool over what's going to happen and, and just keep over, you know, going over in your head how you're going to deal with the fight and just worry and worry and all of these other, all these other anxiety builds. You know what I mean? So, but of course with main events, you have to, you know, when you're, when you're the main event, you have to wait, you know what I mean? There, everybody's going to, you know, waiting to, to see you in a sense. So I'm like, all right, well, got to deal with it. So I'm in the dressing room and different people coming in. And I remember, uh, I think BJ came in to see me. BJ Flores came in to see me, man. And it was like, you know, real, real nice to come in and, you know, see me before the fight, before fight and all. A couple interviews I had to do, you know, asking me how I feel. And uh, it's always, it's always a weird thing. And remember, I, I had been out of the ring up to the, to, I think it was about a year and four months to this point. Or no, no, it was, yeah, something like that, I think. About, 12, about, about I don't know, was it, whether it was 16 months i think it might have been something like that yeah a year and four months i think i was out of the i was out of the ring so even though i've had a lot of experience i had a lot of fights up to that point it's still like when you don't fight or you haven't fought in a while it's especially now that i'm not only getting back in the ring but getting back into the ring with another elite guy it's just a hell of a lot of pressure you know what i mean so in my mind i'm just thinking like man what am i gonna do like am i gonna be this am i gonna be good enough i mean i know i trained hard i feel good i feel i'm in shape with you know, this is Tomas Adamic, man, former former uh, light heavyweight and cruiserweight champion, two-time this, that. I'm like, oh, man, he's, you know, he's this, he's that. And then I start, I start talking about them in my head like they're the best thing ever. You know what I mean? And and I don't know if that is my way of, you know, I don't know, psyching myself up to be able to say, man, forget them. I'll be able to deal with them. You know what I mean? I'm great, too. That kind of thing, but but no, I just in my head it just makes I'm just nervous. I'm just getting more nervous and getting more nervous. But the fight, uh, they they call and they say, hey, "Come on out, you know it's time to have your ring walk." And then as I'm going into the arena, they hear your move, your music playing, your your ring walk music playing. You start to get a little more calm. You start to think about you know you know positive things and how this actually feels. And then seeing a crowd, whether the crowd's cheering for you or not. Just seeing a whole big crowd there to see you, it kind of gives you, you know, that that boost, <laughs> that little boost. So I'm going, and as I get closer to the ring, I know Mike said this before, and and I didn't think about it at the time, but that was exactly what was happening. The closer you get to the ring, the more you start to feel great, and you start to feel in control, and you start to feel at home. You know what I mean? So I'm starting to get to the ring. And just like I said on the other ones, that it's like 
I started to feel stronger and better and more comfortable. And then when I get in there, it was like, man, I'm just waiting for them to just ring the damn bell. I'm tired of sitting and listening to all this shit. I'm just ready. I'm just ready to fight. You know what I'm saying? And once I got into the ring, I really started to feel good. Like I started to feel so good that I was like, man, I mean, it's like, you don't even want to get out the ring. Like, it's like, I didn't even want to go sit down in between rounds. It just felt so good. Like, I didn't feel like I needed to rest. I didn't feel like anything. You know what I mean? I was, I, I was in there. I remember hearing, um, I think it was Joanne Tanachi was uh, announcing me. And I just I just felt really, really, really good. And, like, a lot of times I got in the ring because I would either be overtrained or I would, uh, I would have something that I didn't do 100% proper and in camp. And it would kind of make me a little more tired than I should be at that moment. And I remember feeling none of that like my legs were good my 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 like i had a i don't know if i had a good sweat on me or not i don't remember but i just felt felt warm i felt loose i felt ready to go more than i've ever felt in the past and i've had very few fights that were like that where i felt that good so <laughs> and this is funny round starts and i remember and i had been so active in camp with my left hand so I really put a lot of stock into what I was going to be doing off the jab and off the feint. And I've been working a lot on James Tony's, you know, different movements and things that I could do and replicate kind of what he did. And, and I was planning on doing a lot of that, but all everything was going to be started from that jab, that, that, that jab, that left hand, uh, the left jab feint, and just in general off of those, off of that side getting him to be so such a sucker for the jab. And I remember the first few shots that I threw and the first movements, movements I made in the ring and how it just felt like I was gliding, like I had nothing holding me back. Like there was no I, – I, I went 12 rounds in that ring and that night, and I swear to you, I felt as good in the last round as I felt in the beginning. It felt like I did absolutely nothing the entire fight. But in the first round, I started off, you know – do a couple of jabs out there just to see what he had. And, you know, he, you know, kind of basic. What I was, honestly, he, he was exactly what I expected up to that point. And then, you know, as we got in, I wanted him to be active because I like to have a guy throw punches at me, kind of giving me an idea of what I'm going to be dealing with power-wise, if he can touch me, and just speed-wise so I can kind of gauge if I'm going to be able to, you know, do I have to keep my hands up high all night? Or am I going to be able to, you know, drop my hands a little bit and, you know, figure out what it is I need to do? And I remember him throwing a couple shots and I'm making a miss. And I'm like, damn. And, like, I thought he was supposed to be fast. It's like I almost felt like Peter Parker in, in Spider-Man when he threw his sh the shot at me. I was looking at his arm like, yo, like, is he really trying to hit me? Like, it makes you really think, like, damn, is he really trying to hit me? And, um... So I move around a little more, and, and, and I want to I see if that's really all he has. And I remember him throwing some other shots. I remember him threw a shot to my body. And if you watch the tape of the fight, and you'll see my face, I make me make this face, and I'm in the ring. I'm like, no, this dude really, he ain't, he ain't like that, man. He's not, he's not even at all what these people were trying to make him out to be. Now, I'm not trying to say he's not a good fighter or anything like that. But and, and, and we're not a great fighter, we're not a you know former champ because he was. 
But I'm like, they're talking about how great a boxer this guy was. And I just felt like he couldn't touch me. Like, if I didn't want him to, he wouldn't have touched me all night. And that's really how I felt. And I felt like I kind of did that in the course of the fight. He really never hit me clean at all. You know what I mean? And maybe once or twice. But, and I remember just like making that face and saying, man, this is going to be a fun night. Man, I couldn't, I was just looking forward to it. So as the, that first round continues to go on, all of a sudden, you know, I throw a jab and I was, you know, throwing a hook off the jab as well. I threw a jab, but then I threw a hook off. Me. And then there's some real weird feeling happened. Like a really, really, really weird feeling with my, with my, with my, like, my bicep area. And I'm like, what the hell? And I pulled it back and I looked at it and it looked kind of weird. And I was like, what the hell is going on down here? And I said, you know what? It was probably, it felt like the kind of a pain is you ever have like a, some, a string caught on you from your from your shorts. If you had a string from your shorts, it kind of got wrapped around your arm or something like that, and it kind of pulls like it's kind of digging into you a little bit. It has like a weird little like like um, not tearing, but a, a pinching kind of pain. And that's what I thought it was. I was like looking at my trunks. I'm like, what the hell? And I looked down a couple times just to kind of see what was going on. So I said, oh, okay, all right. And then I threw it again, and it felt kind of weird again. I'm like, what the hell is? And, I, and I'm like, yo, I got it. And I was, I don't know if I reached on my my arm or something. I can't remember if I did that or not. But I know in my mind, I was like, man, something is really wrong over here. And I just, so then I just like I threw a right hand, and a couple other things, and I was really at like at the toward toward the end of that round. And so the round's over, and I go back to the corner, and I'm looking down, and I'm like, yo, what the hell is going on? And so I sit down in the corner, and I'm looking up, and I'm talking to Bashir, and Bashir like, what's wrong? He's like, like. I don't think it's anything. I think we are. You know, I think it's, I, I didn't really even tell him anything about it because I didn't really think nothing of it at the time. You know what I mean? I thought, I was like, man, I was like, ah, it's just all right. I, I wasn't throwing any, any more jabs because it felt like something wrong. But I was like, I think it's all right. I'm just going to go in and I'll try it this time. I'll see what happens. Went out there the second round. Tried to throw a couple of jabs. Same damn thing. I'm like, yo, what the hell is going on? And every time I tried to throw a shot with my left, it felt like crazy. Like I couldn't do it. Like I just didn't want to do it. And even if I let my arm hang down, it bothered me. So I picked it up and I just basically kind of kept it up a little bit, or at least like um, in a Philly shell kind of way where you block your lower half, the lower part of your body around your cup. So I either kept it there or kept it up. And I was like, damn, I, I didn't, I couldn't extend it. Like I could maybe throw a hook or something with it, but I didn't trust that because of how the pain was. It was weird. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to have to figure something out. And I think through that in the second round, I started throwing like a lot of right hands, a lot of counter right hands. And I even turned southpaw a little bit at times through the jab. And I was just kind of like basically trying to trying to win the round, but trying to keep him at bay, trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do. Then I went back to the corner after the second and was talking to Bashir and say, hey, I think something's wrong, man. I, I can't throw this. I can't throw my left hand. He's like, what you want to do? And I was like, well, I ain't come this hard to bottle it. I was like, yo, I'm just going to keep going see what happens. You know, I didn't think about quitting or anything. I just wondering like you know just i keep going fuck it and so i got out there and then next round i went out i went out i think i don't know if i went out southpaw or, or if i started right-handed and just started basically using his offense because i knew he was a really busy fighter i started using his offense for you know for for to to, to create mine because I, I of course a lot of counter right hands i hit him with him i hit him with so many counter right hands through that fight i don't man i should have I, I felt like if i could have really sat down on him a little better and, and if I would have been a little more powerful at that time, a little heavier, 
I would have probably been able to do some real damage. But at the time, I mean, it just, I mean, I, I think I, you know, made my presence felt, but I don't think it was enough. And at that point, it was like, well, I don't have my left hand. So the, so the uh, punch count thing, or we're just overwhelming them with, with, uh, with punches and speed, would have probably done the, you know, done the deed for me and maybe get him out of there. Because we didn't really think we could win a decision in Little Poland. And, you know, we really thought that that was the case. It was not, not going to be possible. But um, with my left hand, we would have been able to overwhelm him and just maybe stop him or something late. But it, but obviously, but now with my with the injury, I didn't I wasn't able to do it. So it's like, yo, man, just do the best you can with what you have. And that's what my mind it was what was in my mind. So, you know, as the fight goes on, I'm starting to try to figure out different ways of being more active and using one hand. So I say I have to switch. I'm going to have to switch sometime. I'm going to have to use the, the jab from the southpaw side because I can't, I just, I won't be able to just throw just straight right hands all day without, you know, I got to have some kind of diversity. It's got to be something that's going to happen. It's going to maybe offset and maybe change the angle. So I say, you know what, I'm periodically I'm going to just switch back and forth. And I actually thought about it. Like, what would happen if I hurt my left hand in a fight? Me and Steve used to talk about hypothetical things like, what would we do if you hurt your left hand? Like, man, I would just switch up or I would just do this or I would just do that. And I always thought, and we talked to these, about these things, and I had always thought, like, what would I do? Sure enough, it's a good thing that we had some of them conversations and that I had the, the, I had the, the, the cojones to try some of these moves in a, in a high-level fight with the guy. But um, I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to switch back and forth when it suits me. I'm going to look for opportunities and, and try to land some shots and see what happens. And more, I got more and more and more confidence as the rounds went on and on. And I just felt like, man, he hasn't hit me clean at all the entire fight. And, if it, and, and with, with, with the conditioning that I, the condition I was in, I was like, even with one hand, I felt like I could have fought 30, 40 rounds and it wouldn't bother me none. And so I said, you know what? Let me just pick up this, try to pick up the punch count the best way I can. So I tried to keep pace with one hand with him throwing both his. And he's already, remember, he's already a busy fighter. But my thing was also to do is just like Floyd. When Floyd fights guys, he drops their punch count because they're so unsure about range with him. And I feel like I had that same kind of effect on Tomas. With the, with the counter right hands and then the switching with the with the right jab and just the different things I was trying to do and giving him so many different looks he was just really unsure. So as the fight went on, I had him guessing, and I started even turning from my straight throwing my counter straight right hand to an uh, overhand uh, counter right hand, which kind of really got him. And I even threw some rock off, which would be like the counter right hand, and then turning into a southpaw jab, switching the crazy. It's a crazy looking thing. If you see it, if you have a chance to watch the fight, but it it worked, and it was like I I had I had him I had him not going like I was going to stop him, but I felt like I had him. I felt like I was winning rounds. I felt like I was doing the job. I felt like I had it I had it under control. And I remember Bashir at the end of the rounds like, man, you're doing well, but you know, look where we are. You know what I'm saying? I need you to win this last round big, not messing around. So once he put that in my head, I was like, damn, I gotta. I got to I got to do something dr- dramatic here. I got to do something drastic. You know what I mean? Because I don't know where we are in the fight. I mean, I don't feel like I got hit or anything, but at the same time that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have to win and I know where we are. So I said, so in the last round instead of just doing what I had been doing, which is just, you know, boxing his head off in my opinion, I 
I changed what I was doing and said, okay, well now I'm going to look for a little blood. I'm going to look and see if I can get a big shot in, in here because as it stands, we don't know what's going on. I could be losing rounds. You know, he could be up. The fight could be close. I don't know. And I think I need to do something to at least solidify that I'm the king in here, like that I'm actually the one winning, that I'm controlling the fight. And uh, so I tried to, like, get close to him, which it really wasn't hard to do that, but I was trying to land a heavy shot, like a big shot. And it was hard for me to do that, being that I only had one hand, if you understand what I mean. It's like the other hand, you use your other hand, your jabs, your feints and things like that, to set up generally your big shot. That's really how you were supposed to land your right hand off of the jab, you know, off of the jab or off of a feint. Really, single right hands don't really land that off. You have to be a special guy to land them off. And I'm not saying I'm overly special, but it's just you have to have a certain way of about your style and how to, to really land a lot of counter right hands. Like you look at Floyd, you look at me, I guess, because you look at this fight and you see how these things happen and you have to literally be a split second off timing to, I mean, on, t- you got to make sure you're able to time him perfectly. And, you know, one, obviously when you're doing it so much and you're training so hard and you're doing all these different things, these things come a little easier than what, you know, most people will look and say, well, damn, I, I don't think I could do that. You know what I mean? But guys like myself, guys like Floyd, you know, other special talents that are out there, Lomachenko, different guys that you're looking at now. Uh, and they're able to do those types of things. And and that was what I needed. But because I had started to trying to walk him down and try to be a little, you know, try to land a big shot, he has started to retreat more. And I guess his corner was telling him, maybe you're ahead, but it didn't look like it at the end. But anyway, they were probably saying, you know, maybe just go out there and finish the fight. I don't know what their what was in their mind, but he had started to retreat. But in that last round, he still threw like I think like ninety or so ninety something punches, maybe maybe close to hundred punches. So or yeah, well close to hundred punches. So it was like, damn, I tried to to make something happen, but because I was looking just for that big shot, I really wasn't active. All I was doing was following him around, and I kind of got off with a plan that we had. I should have probably just stuck with what I was doing and just been a little bit more active with my right hand, but. Hey, things were things happened, and and, and that was the uh, the situation. But I still felt pretty good, so I go back to the corner, and I was talking to you know to the guys, and I asked them. I was like, "Yo, what you think? What you, what you think?" He's like, "Yo, He's like, oh man, you you blew him. You won easy." And I'm like, "Really?" I'm like, "Oh yeah," and I'm happy. I'm ready to I'm ready to celebrate. But then I'm like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute." <laughs> no, this is to- this is this is this is little Poland. You know, I mean, this, I'm a Johnny come lately to this to this promotional group, so I don't necessarily think they got any 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 real. They're not really backing me like that. I mean, this is their their cash guy, Tomas, right now. Him and Kovalev was was their cash guys at the time. I'm like, man, I don't know. I was like, you know, I, I I think I, I I really at that point I had a real negative thought process toward what I thought was going to happen, and I ended up being right. They they announced the card. One judge gave it 119-109. One judge gave it 117, I think, to 111, I think. And the other one was like 116, 112, something like that. But one judge gave me 119-109. That means I only got one round. 
And they announced at first I was like, damn, is they giving it to is there they giving that decision to me like that? And I said, Hell no. Hell no, it's not possible. So once the decision was announced, and I was like, wow. Like that I was I mean, I didn't really even hear the numbers. I, I didn't really pay attention to the numbers as much as I was just listening to, you know, like one was higher and one was low. I wasn't really paying attention to exactly how many rounds it was that they had for whoever, you know, for the winner and for the loser. And, you know, once they announced who was, who the winner was, I was just like, damn, I didn't. And then I start thinking about the round, like, damn, I didn't get no rounds. Like, like, I mean, like on one of the cars, I only got, I only got freaking one round. The other car, I got three and the other one, maybe four. And I'm like, that's it. And a fight. And it's funny because if you look at the corners at the end of the fight, my corner, like we just had won and his corner, like they lost. Mm. Like they felt like, if you saw, I'm telling you, if you watch it, you saw their face. They look real good. It's like, oh man, like they like, oh, we well, blew it, type thing. And then you looked at my corner. We over there, like ready to freaking celebrate, like ready to pop bottles and all that crap. And you know, when you hear the decision, it just kind of gives you a, you know, a different outlook on boxing. It just man, it just makes you just say, you know, what's what's the purpose of doing all this? You know, but it, and it just it just really is the, the one thing I'll say about this fight that, what, you know, what it did, what happened that was good, aside from getting money, was that it actually gave me probably the highest level of confidence I've ever had since I've been boxing. Because I felt at that point that I was it. I felt like I could have fought anybody and beat them. That's how good I felt. And I owe that a lot to my team, obviously, at the time it was, you know, I got to say with Bashir, Bashir and, and, and Steve and and just everybody that was there that was pushing me and obviously the sparring partners that was helping me because I felt, I felt solid. I felt like I could do anything I wanted. And the worst thing, though, the bad, the bad, the one of the worst, obviously, was the decision, but having that injury, and it put me out for another six to eight months and I couldn't get back into the ring until that uh, next year, the next summer. And obviously, you know, being out again for 10 months before I got another fight then would, would be, you know, kind of detrimental. But I remember there was a, something that, you know what, I don't want to go into that now. <laughs> let's, let's leave that here. Let's leave it here at where we are with, you know, at the end of the Tomas fight. But um, there's going to be some other stuff that I'm going to talk about once we get into the uh, next installment of where, I'm gonna, where we're going to go from here. Okay, well, there we go. That is the Adam Eck fight. Um, and yeah, the, the judge that gave you only one round, which was, um, I mean, I don't even know where to go with the, uh, description for him, but, uh, yeah, that judge, Alan Rubenstein from, yes. from Philadelphia. Oh my God. Yeah. Hi, the only Philadelphia, yo, it, he, it could have been somebody, why would, why the guy from Philly? I've got no idea. Yo, and the and, guy from Philly, that's supposed to be my judge. Yeah, the other two <laughs> judges, which were um, uh, Joseph Pasquale and Steve Weisfeld, both from New Jersey as well. Um, yeah. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> what, what was, it, was I right on the cards? It was 119-109 and then 117-11, no, no, no. 116-12? 119-109, Alan Rubenstein and Steve Weisfeld and, and Joseph Pasquale. Um, one sixteen, one twelve, both of them. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that, that was one round off, of one. <laughs> but but no, but still, man, it, that's still like even one sixteen, one twelve. Now, if you would have said seven five, 
edged him out a little, little bit. All right, I got it. I'm cool with that. But 8-4? Nah. 8-4, no. Anything else I would have been cool with. 8-4, no. uh, Not anything else, but, you know, but, 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 but 9 3 8 4 10 11 1 no. Hell no. And and you're right to feel like that. Like I say, I hope I hope our listeners at some point, whether you did it um, between last week's show and this week's show, or perhaps you're going to check it out after this. Um, you know, if you've got the time to go and check it out, look at it. It's in great quality on on YouTube, and uh, let us know your scorecard because you know, for years since since that fight took place. Um, it hasn't sat right with many people, not just me, not just Eddie, but many, many people. That's uh, some of the strangest judging I've seen. Um, it, it was really bad. Um, but anyway, that wraps up this edition of the Lockdown Knockdown. Um, you know, it, it, it was a good fight to go over, even though it brings back mad, uh, mad memories. I mean, bad memories. Um, oh, and mad. mad and- yeah, mad and bad. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you um, tore your bicep early on and then had to fight in... In, in, in Southpaw from there on out. Um, the fight after that, Eddie, is another bad one, unfortunately. It's when you do oh, decide to yep. move down to Cruiserweight. Uh, that'll be, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, next week. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll do next week. Yeah, yeah that, that, that'll be interesting as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that done. The final thing I'm going to do is just, I almost forgot, I'm going to I'm gonna dedicate this little one or two minutes here to... Um, Loyal listener Luigi Pelosi. He heard he's um he's Italian. He heard from uh you know on on last week's show about that pizza story. You know with that massive pizza, Eddie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah so he's a he's a real Italian. He said you got to stop eating that kind of pizza. You need to have the real deal. Uh, the real deal pizza. So he gave me a recommendation of this place called Pizzeria Santa Maria. Um. And he gave me, uh, you know, their locations. There's like three um, scattered around London. So anyway, I went to the one nearest to me, which is in Fulham. Um, I went there yesterday, so Tuesday. Yeah. And um, so I go in there, you know, to get a takeaway. Um, I ask for the pizza I want. And the lady there says to me, okay, you know, you're paying by card. Yes, I'm paying by card. So I... I, I um, Wait, is this true? You don't have contactless payment in America, no? What contactless? Not well. You mean like, like we we do payment a lot of times on, well, like if you order food, you know, from no, but I mean, order no, food not even just food. ordering food. But I mean, I've been obviously with you in in supermarkets and stuff like that. But if I'm gonna pay yeah. for something in the UK, I just get my card and tap it on like a machine, and it just goes beep, and that's it. I don't have to enter a pin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can do that. Okay. You, I mean, you could, you could, you could do that here. I mean, I don't have that on mine. Okay. I just, I, I, I you know, I, you know, insert it and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't enter a pin. I don't sign anything. It's just tap go. Um, yeah. Okay. I didn't know because someone told me that they don't have that over there, and I was thinking, what? No, they do. Okay. They do have it. Like certain, certain, certain companies have it. Okay. Anyway, I tap on, you know, to to pay for it. And then the lady says, "Okay, the pizza is going to be about five minutes." Okay, I come back in five minutes. So. I, I uh, get back in the car, wait about five minutes, go back in there, and the lady says, okay, here's the pizza. However, the payment didn't go through. So I'm embarrassed. Mm. I'm thinking, oh, my God, my card's declined. Did I not have enough money for this pizza in there? And then she says, oh, no, 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 it's not your fault. Basically, the uh, the payment 
device that they use, for some reason it dropped the internet connection, so it didn't go through on their end. So I'm like, oh, um, oh. And then she goes, have you got any cash on you at all? And I said, no, I haven't got any cash on me, just my card, you know. And she goes, okay, well, uh, this this one's on us. Next time, don't worry, next time. So I take the pizza, right, for free. So, um, you there? Yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. Definitely about this. I got a free pizza already. I am. I don't, I'm not. I'm, I'm clapping, but I'm I'm clapping in my mind, but I'm also waiting for the punchline right okay. now because I I'm pretty sure what I'm here is going to be good. Yes, I get back to the car, open it up, man. This hey, I'm taking you here when you come over here. This pizza yeah. puts to shame anything y'all got over there. <laughs> hey listen I'm telling you the truth this pizza as Luigi Pelosi said and it's a fine recommendation so I'm really really happy that you recommended this place but it was like it was like um, yeah it's, it's authentic southern Italian pizza man it was proper good authentic genuine any good words that come to my brain are getting put in this sentence it was delicious man it was beautiful beautiful it's one of those times i don't know if you've ever had a pizza like this eddie because again in america they do things big they do things crazy sometimes but you eat a whole pizza and you feel like it just slid down you you almost feel like i could eat another one of those right now you know yo a hundred percent hundred percent there trust me i'm not trying to say that's not the best pizza in the world but i am saying that there are places over here that you have, you just have to go to the right place, but you'll find, you'll trust me. You'll find something over here. It's just like you find that hoagie joint, which was not, was in a gas station. Wasn't even, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? I like, what is, but it's a surprise. You know what I mean? Philly, Philly cheesesteak. That was, that was, Philly cheesesteak yeah. is, you know, it's from Philly where we went to yeah. that, to that gas station was close to Philly. Uh, yeah. you know, Southern Italy is Southern good. Italy is closer to London than than the US. <laughs> that's my that's argument true. point. <laughs> that is hey, now listen. Hey, when you say that's true, if if if, if there's gonna be some real I mean, don't get me wrong, there's that is some over here always fight over Italian Americans, of course. But yeah. but but still, I mean I mean it all depends. Like I said, it depends on where you are. I mean, I'm pretty sure somewhere in New York you'll find a great a great spot there. But it has to be like, I know it's not a chain. You know what I'm saying? Like, chain restaurants, cool, some of them. But trust me, trust me, the best ones you're going to have is going to be something like that. Where maybe there's like two or three of them, or one, yeah. and you have to go all the way there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the best thing, you know what I mean? Because obviously they're not putting it on the assembly line. It's legit. It's right off the, off the grip. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Family-owned type places like that they uh they put 100%. their soul into it but yeah just a massive just a massive thank you to uh to, to to luigi pelosi for for recommending that place i went all the way over there it didn't take me too long but um you know drove drove over there just for that and um didn't have to pay for it in the end so i was uh extremely happy the only bad thing is i'm not sure if i can go back in there because they might ask me to pay for the second uh the second visit they might say hey i remember you <laughs> shoot i'm gonna pay for that and like just to try is the way you talking like shoot i don't even eat cheese but i might have to do it for that oh, if it's that good yeah no we we definitely have to hit that place up but anyway that's it 
for all the talking, we did... Well, we didn't do any reviewing, we didn't do any previewing, there's nothing to do. Thank God we had Eddie here with the Lockdown Knockdown segment. Thank you once again to you for that, Eddie. I did the news, it was only one thing to announce, it was just that uh, that, that Herring and Frampton are getting it on in late February. That's the pizza chat done this week. The final thing to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome one of my personal favourite fighters in world boxing. It is, of course, the former light heavyweight world title challenger, soon to challenge for a title uh, once again. It is, of course, Mr. Joe Smith Jr. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, Joe. It truly is. Uh, this, of course, is the first time we've we've had you on the show, so it really is a pleasure having you. Um, at the end of, of, of every year on this podcast, we do like a like a kind of end of year awards kind of thing. And we discuss, you know, the fighter of the year, stuff like that. I remember how amazing your 2016 was. I remember thinking you were, you were one of the best fighters in that year. And a couple of weeks ago at the end of 2020, uh, I gave fighter of the year to Tiafimo Lopez, but I gave you a special mention again, because your 2020 was amazing. Um, I'm excited to have you on, man. I'm really excited for this, Joe. (laughs) Uh, thanks, I appreciate it. No, no problem. But anyway, let's get into it. I've probably uh, watched all of your fights since that stunning knockout in the first round over Andre Fonfara some years back, which uh, was very impressive. I remember um, him him giving a good fight to Adonis Stevenson, then he beat Chavez, then he beat Nathan Cleverly, one of our top fighters at the time. You destroyed him in a round. Um, is that your personal favorite win of your career, Joe? I mean, it, it's definitely up there. It's... Uh... You know, definitely one of my top wins. You know, I have a few, but, uh, you know, it was, yeah, that was a great night, man. It doesn't get much better than that, you know, <laughs> unless you're winning a world championship doing it. <laughs> and I want to go back again to the, to the fight after that. Obviously, Bernard Hopkins, I remember watching that fight like it was yesterday. It was a brilliant fight while it lasted, and then boom, you know, you punch him out the ring. He lands on the top of his head, which bizarrely affected his, his ability to walk. Tell us about that one in a few words, Joe. Yeah, I mean, that was a great night for me as well. I mean, I knocked out a legend and, you know, no one else was able to do it and all his fights that he had. And, uh, you know, it was just a great accomplishment for me. And again, moving up the timeline, you know, you boxed Sullivan Barrera, which at the time I felt was a brilliant, brilliant fight. Um, you had him down in the very first round. However, something seemed to, I don't know, something seemed to go wrong. What, what seemed to go wrong for you that night, Joe? Well, that night, um, I actually went into the fight, you know, feeling like there was something wrong, you know, with, uh, I had an injury in my jaw. Um, you know, I went and got it checked out from a doctor about two weeks before the fight, but, you know, they told me they didn't really see anything. They said if there was something there, it was very, you know, minor where, you know, it wasn't enough really to call off the fight. You know, although I was in pain and didn't feel 100%, I didn't want to, you know, risk pulling off the fight either because I knew I would be in line for a shot at a title after that. But, you know, I ended up taking the fight. But, you know, once once I got hit with a, a good shot, it, you know, the it, it finished it off. <laughs> yeah, these things, these things happen. Um, 
and obviously it's almost been two years now since the Dimitri Bivol fight and again I remember watching that I remember you I think catching him just after the bell in one of the rounds and we saw him staggered for the first time in his career um he's a great fighter Bivol and I'm sure you probably rate him as one of the best at 175 yeah definitely you know um that that was a great fight for me you know I learned learned a few things in that fight that I needed to change and go back to the gym and work on. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've been improving on those things with each and every fight I had since. So, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to this fight, proving that, um, you know, I improved even more. And you mentioned there, since then, you know, you rolled into 2020. You had a great year, like I said, a split decision win over Jesse Hart and a knockout win against Alida Alvarez in in what I thought would be a very hard fight for you, to be honest. And in fact, I think it was probably the most impressive display of your career, not just because Alvarez had been a world champion, not just because Kovalev couldn't knock him out and you did, but you showed so much to your game in that fight. You were setting things up, you were boxing brilliantly, and you were more creative than I've ever seen you. You know, you were throwing all kinds of shots, every shot in the book. And some people have said in the past, you know, if they're being critical, they might have said you you might be slightly one-dimensional. Absolutely not in that fight. You were tremendous. Yeah, you know, I you know, I have uh, some boxing abilities, you know. I just um a lot more than some tend to not you <laughs> I I tend to uh, just look for the big punch sometimes. So, you know, I've just been working on, you know, setting things up more and uh being a little more patient and more busy. <laughs> yeah, like I say, I was just so thoroughly impressed. It was just, honestly, it was beautiful to watch. But let's look to the future. Like you said, uh, you're getting another shot at a world title, this time for the vacant WBO light heavyweight world title. It's more than deserved, in my opinion. Um, Maxim Vlasov is the man in the other corner, the man who started his career at middleweight, moved up to cruiserweight, and is now back down at light heavy. Um, do you know much about your opponent here, Joe? Um, you know, I've watched a lot of a lot of his fights. Uh, you know, a few on YouTube, whatever I can see. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I see he's a very busy fighter. He's aggressive. He's always coming forward and punching. He's got, you know, he's got good movement, but most of all, he's always busy. So you just got to be in great shape and uh, make sure you're punching with him and don't uh, let him control the pace. And really it. (laughs) <laughs> and what are your kind of thoughts on him as a fighter? I know you went into it just a little bit there, but, you know, he has kind of had a very different career to you in terms of the fact that you you could say, I'm not knocking him, but you could say he's somewhat got a bit of an inflated record. He's boxed some really good guys, but where you've kind of boxed, you know, hard fight after hard fight since 2016 and beyond. Um, what are your thoughts on him? You know, I guess this fight will be one where you will, like all your fights, try to get your opponent into deep waters with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think he's, you know, he's a well-experienced fighter, so you can't underestimate anything he's um, he's done. But, um, you know, I, I just, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I want to put on a great show. Uh, you know, I'd like to get him out of there if I can, but, you know, I'm prepared to go a distance with him. And, of course, the fight takes place February the 13th back at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, the same place you stopped Alvarez. Do you enjoy fighting in that kind of environment with no crowds there, Joe? Um, yes, I mean, I like it, but I also love having my family and friends and, 
you know, fans watching and cheering me on, but I know I can hear them in my head, honestly, when I'm in there. I just, I picture them sitting in front of their TV screaming my name, you know, while I'm uh, in there doing my thing. But, you know, I'm just, I'm in there and I'm focused on just getting that victory. You know, I, that's the main goal is to get the victory and, uh, you know, just put on a great show for them all. And I want to ask you this question here as well. Obviously, it's been well documented that you've worked a construction job throughout your boxing career. So you're just like the average person out there that that work these normal jobs, but you train and you fight outside of those hours. Have you already exceeded your expectations as a boxer coming from your background? Or did you always feel like you were good enough to perhaps win a world title? And of course, you're very close to achieving that now. I mean, the goal has always been to become a world champion. So, you know, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> so once I do that, you know, I'll be, uh, you know, I still won't be satisfied. I got to, I want to unify belts and, um, you know, just you know, be known as a great fighter, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we've whizzed through this a lot quicker than I thought we perhaps would. I've got two last questions here. I must ask you this, Joe, because everyone from here in the UK likes me to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Who comes to mind when I ask you who's your favorite fighter from the UK? Uh, It can be any era. It can be a guy that retired 120 years ago. It can be a guy that's still boxing today. Uh, who, Who springs to mind for you? Uh, honestly, I, I mean, I don't really um, like have a favorite boxer anywhere. You know, I mean, I could name a few guys that I thought were great, but you know, I mean, I don't know. You guys got a lot of great fighters though from the UK. I mean, there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> okay, I'll throw a name at you then. Uh, just a fun. Got- Sorry, go on. Yeah, uh, well, go ahead. Let's see what you got. No, I was just going to say, another guy that I feel is, um, you know, right up there in your division, for example, obviously another dangerous puncher like yourself. I mean, he's a guy who I think, why would you want to fight him? And that's the same what I feel about you. Why would you want to fight him? You know, Joe Smith's so dangerous, he can punch with both hands just like this guy. Callum Johnson, who, of course, had a good fight with Baturbiev. Yes, um, yeah, he's definitely a big puncher and... uh you know he he you know he's definitely a great fighter. He's definitely up there here, um, with the the top heavyweight, light heavyweight. But um, you know maybe in the future you know that's something. But you know I'm I'm just looking at getting some titles. You know I want the the title shots. You know I want the big fight. Absolutely, absolutely, and so you should, my friend. You deserve it. And just finally, Joe, before we let you go, if you've got any closing words, just to the listeners, mainly in the UK, because like I said, there's a lot of guys, including myself, that have stayed up till the early hours of the morning to watch you knock people out. Uh, You've got a hell of a lot of fans over here, my friend, and I don't know how often you get to communicate with them. I'm guessing you probably get a lot of uh, messages and stuff on social media, but what's your message vocally to your fans over here that support you from this side of the pond? I'm just appreciated, uh, you know, to have you guys and fans, and um, you know, I hope you tune in on the on on the 13th and uh, enjoy the fight. Absolutely, listen, Joe. It's been an absolute delight and an honor to speak with you. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for February 13th, and I hope that the next time we talk, I'm talking to the new WBO light heavyweight champion of the world. You will most definitely. I'm uh, I'm in here putting the the hard hours of training in every day. You know, this way I I know that title's mine when I 
when the 13th comes. <laughs> okay, and this wraps up episode 274 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our unexpected guest on this week's podcast, the top light heavyweight contender who we all want to see win a world title, I feel. And that, of course, is Mr. Joe Smith Jr. It's a, it's a feel-good story for sure. But that's about everything from myself. A massive thank you to all of you for listening once again. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.